0: And please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 13. <clears throat> and I intend to finish the chapter of tonight. We have three verses here, verses 23 through 25. And um, we will take those one at a time. Uh, verse, verse 23 says, Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor, and for lack of justice, there is waste. Um the uh, New, New King James, I think, is just a little bit clumsy there. The ESV says the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it's swept away through injustice. And the other modern translations, uh, uh, bear that kind of a, that kind of a reading. Now, it's hard uh, to make a, a case for one interpretation and application of this verse. Um, It is, like most Proverbs, cryptic, and all agree that the lack of yield or the lack of fruitfulness of the ground is on account of a lack of justice, which could mean a lack of of just and righteous labor on the part of the poor man himself, or it could mean for a lack of justice on the part of those who, by outside influence, caused the land to bear no fruit. And I, I think it's best to consider it from different perspectives all, all both of these perspectives are true um there are so there are true two, two truths here though in this verse that are very clear one is that there is potential for much food in this poor man's field and secondly this potential wealth doesn't materialize and the reason for it is sin uh for after all lack of justice is sin so let's look at one possibility. Uh, first of all, the question, is there enough food on this planet to feed the 8 billion people that are on it? Uh, or uh, or if, it, if it does fall short in any given year, uh, another question would be, is there enough land that if properly tilled and planted, would it feed the 8 billion people on the earth? And I believe the answer is a resounding yes, that there is ample food, both uh, in the ground and in the sea to feed everyone that God has put on the planet. Uh, so, then, uh, so then you ask the question, well, then why do people actually die of hunger in certain parts of the world? Well, uh, there's not a simple a- answer to such a question like that. But uh, this proverb does shed some light on that. Sometimes there is a severe drought and the people are so remote from others that relief doesn't get to them. And so people starve to death. But I believe that far more often food is denied uh, to the poor because of injustice and the injustice that comes around as a result of war. Uh, Food that is grown is destroyed by the warring factions, or food cannot be grown because of the warring factions, uh, and food cannot be brought into them because of the warring factions. So and we've seen this in modern times. Many, many, many cases where vast regions are turned into wastelands uh, through wars. Uh, It's not because of the lack of potential for food in the land, but because of wars and violence, or in other words, it doesn't yield because of injustice, just as the proverb says. Well, let's consider the the first phrase. There is uh, a lot of insight here in the first phrase. Much food is in the fallow ground of the poor. Let's consider how the NIV puts it. It says, a poor man's field may produce abundant food. And I thought I'd give an illustration here, because I think I have a perfect illustration in my family, and that would be my grandfather on my mother's side. Um, He only had around 100 acres. I can't remember exactly what it was. It's somewhere between 85 and 120, but I-90 went right through the middle of his farm and cut off a bunch of his acreage and remember my grandfather was not very pleased about that but he still made a a living on the acreage that was left and and we only milked about 20 25 head of cattle and it was a very small very small operation and i was always uh when i was a kid i, I took everything for granted you know like kids do but when in the 1970s when i was an adult and i realized that there was something very unusual there i asked my grandpa i said grandpa i said how come back in the 1970s, you know, everybody was saying that if you want to make a living on a farm, you need at least 500 acres, something like that. or And you need to milk at least, you know, 80 or 100 head if you want to make a living. And my grandpa milked 20, 25 head, and he had less than 100 acres. He bought a new car every other year, and he, he lived quite well. And I said, well, Grandpa, I just wonder how you do that. And he said, well... Few things. He said, first, he said, we have a big garden. And they did. They had a garden that was probably the size of a city lot here in Rockford, uh, probably close to a third of an acre. And they raised all kinds of things. And they canned tomatoes and they canned, I mean, they canned everything. And they had lots of stuff in their cellar every year. And he said, uh, he says, we butcher our, our own. He raised hogs, sold hogs. And he, he said, we butcher a hog once a year. And he'd butcher a, a, a beef cow once a year that he'd raise. And uh, that provided all their meat. And he said, so we, we only buy from the store just our staples, just things like sugar and flour and things like that. And so we don't really buy that much. And uh, and so he said, and then, of course, they're dairy farmers, so all their milk products they got free or almost free. And uh, and so he was just a very good businessman with the little acreage he's got. And he said, then also, he said, I don't get one of those great big tractors that cost a lot of money. He said, I use a small tractor I've got. Now, I have to be on the field a little longer. I have to be a few more hours on the field. But he says, better than making payments on those big tractors. And so, my grandpa, he was just a good businessman, you know. And so, there's much food in the tillage of his little acreage. And even though common knowledge back then was, you couldn't possibly make it on 100 acres. My grandpa made a a good enough living when I was a teenager. He bought a brand new Grand Marquis Mercury every other year. And And when I was a little bit... Older as an adult, in the 1970s, bought a brand-new Lincoln uh, town car every other year. So uh, my grandpa lived pretty good. So the point is this, in that there was abundant food in that little bit of ground that he had. And through diligence and wise financial practices, my grandfather made a good living, and and even actually in abundance, really. So, no. But my grandpa could have drank too much, or he could have decided to lay around and not – uh Tend his cattle or till his ground or plant his garden, and all that potential for abundance could have been away, could have been wasted couldn't it and um it could have been reduced to poverty just because he was too lazy or too ill disciplined or undisciplined or sinful to uh to make a good living out of it it would have been for a lack of justice it would have been for a lack of you know for a lack of uh of righteousness, and it would have been because of his sinful lifestyle. If that would have been the case, uh, it wouldn't be the fault of the land. You see, it's not because he didn't have enough land; uh, it would have been his own fault. And then here's something that I've observed over the years: it's not how much a person makes, but how he or she uses it that uh, uh, that makes a person financially successful. I remember one of the, uh, an old lady, and if I mentioned her, your name, her name, you would recognize the name, and uh, she was poor. She he, she told me what her income was, and it was very little, and I was amazed, but she paid off her house, and she uh, lived fairly well, And and I remember back in those days, I had, was one of the deacons I wasn't a deacon, I was before we had deacons, before we were constituted as a church, I was a trustee and I counted the money and and I you know, I figured mathematically, well she has to be tithing, at least tithing for what she gives, and she gave very regular and I and I knew another couple that they made lots of money. They probably made five times the money this woman did. And they were always strapped for money. And I counted their money they gave to the church too, and it was obvious they were robbing God. But uh,
1: and I and it
0: just you know just noticed that it doesn't matter how much you make really, it's how you use what you make. And uh, I'm sure Mark is seeing that in a lot of you know all the the business that you're in. So it's really how people use it. I knew a man who had a family back in the 1960s, and he worked at Chrysler, and he made big money uh, with the union at Chrysler and and uh, uh, he'd bring, have this great big paycheck. And by the time he got home, he had nothing because he would stop off to a bar and he would drink and gamble all of it away. And the very night of his payday, he'd come home with maybe $20 in his pocket or if that. His poor wife and children were reduced to nothing. And so um, he could have had much abundance, but because of his own sinfulness, uh, his family uh, suffered uh, greatly, and so um, it's for lack of justice. It's for lack of justice. The fallow ground of the poor can bring forth much, but for lack of justice, uh, there is waste, just as this proverb says. And so, and uh, and even now, there are many Christians, many I say Christians, many children on the west side of Rockford that go hungry in the summertime, uh, and especially when school's uh, out. Because the parents are using all their resources to, uh, in in sinful ways, to get high and things like that, and uh, that's one of the ways. By the, one of the reasons why, by the way, that I always uh, support the summer programs at Victory Outreach that tries to have programs for the children. They call it the Youth Gang. If you are ever out on the, and they're um, collecting money on one of the street corners, and don't be irritated with them. If you see it, it says Youth Gang on it, it's Victory Outreach, and go ahead and give to them. That's all right. That's one of those you ought to. You ought to give to. But anyway, uh, here you had a widow that made very little, and she had plenty. And you had a man with a very great income, and and this couple that I knew that that basically had nothing. And uh, uh, see, there's a great amount of waste on account of a lack of justice. Sin will cause waste. Whether it's the farmer who won't plow or the man who won't work or the man who does work, but he wastes his substance on drugs or alcohol um, uh or other vices, sin brings misery, and sin brings waste and children, you should always remember that in your own lives it uh you know God will provide for you, but sinfulness uh sinful ways of and undisciplined ways of living will will cause you to, to be in need. And so um, whereas right, sin brings misery, whereas righteousness brings health. Well, we know that Jesus was very poor, but he fed thousands on two different occasions, didn't he? And when the multitudes were finished eating, he wouldn't allow anything to go to waste then. What did he do after they finished eating? He, he made them pick up the fragments that remained, remember? And there were so many baskets that were left of the leftovers. And so he wouldn't waste anything. So children understand this. Eating leftovers is biblical. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and so do you ever ever hear somebody complain about eating leftovers? Say, ah, it's biblical to eat leftovers. So, um, I, but I think this can be applied spiritually as well. How much waste is involved in, say, having a Bible and not reading it? Or having a church to attend and not attending it? Uh, and how many parents neglect the spiritual training of their children? And how many children uh, just don't pay attention and they don't listen and they don't obey their parents and they don't and they won't listen when the parents do open the Bible. So how much potential for good uh, for spiritual gain is neglected in many Christian homes? We mentioned that a little bit last week. And how many pastors are there in this uh, country that are uh, they have? spiritually starving people in attendance in their churches, but through neglect of God's word, they feed them instead with stories and motivational speeches instead of the pure word of God. There are a lot of churches like that. Surely the Bible is the fallow ground in some churches with great potential to feed the souls of men, but through injustice, that is, neglect of the word of God, those riches are swept away, just as we read in this verse. So, Uh, Don't let this be your way of life. So let's go on to the next proverb. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Now here the Bible uses language that uh, is is meant to make a point. Uh, When it says that he hates his son, It doesn't necessarily mean that he actively hates his son. He's trying to destroy his son. He's plotting to ruin his son by not disciplining him. But the action of not disciplining his son is consistent with hatred of his son rather than with love for his son. And that's how we need to take the wording of it here. So here we have the word and wisdom of God comes into direct conflict with the word and the wisdom of man especially in our society at this time. And under the pretense of the example of the very few that have abused the rod, they would have every parent neglect the proper use of the rod. Yet, to the discomfort of many, even Christian parents, these verses are still contained in the Bible. They haven't been stricken from the Bible, and they won't be stricken from the Bible because this is the word of God. Uh, We have this verse, we have Proverbs 22.15, it says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. Proverbs 23.13, Do not withhold discipline from a child, for if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. You will strike him with a rod, and you will save his soul from hell. Uh, These verses are still in the Bible, and, and these are this is good counsel now but i would give a qualification that i think needs to be stated in this and that is uh in an ever increasingly militant and persecuting society that we live in the christian needs to take uh, extra measures to be careful and discreet in the in the obedience to to a verse like this uh we ought to use caution so that we don't bring trouble into our lives unnecessarily if you do have trouble in your life because of this you're being persecuted for righteousness' sake because you're obeying the word. But, um, but I just say I don't. Know, I understand a parent needs to be discreet and careful at any times of persecution. But this is certainly a time of persecution for people trying to raise children. A time was, in my lifetime, it wasn't controversy, it, controversial at all in society to spank children. It was even acceptable to spank other people's children if you had charge over them. Uh, public schools used the rod in the principal's office as late as sometime in the 1970s and maybe even into the 1980s, but I know it was used in the 1970s in some schools. But all that began to change about then and gradually became more and more discouraged until now <clears throat> we have what we have. And uh, and you can see this difference in society's values by simply watching TV shows and movies from the late from the 1950s and the 1960s um, until the 1970s, it was assumed uh, that children would be spanked by their parents for uh, disobedience. It was con- it was not considered abusive in any way. In fact, I remember uh, a few years ago I was watching an episode of McHale's Navy, which I don't know if you know McHale's Navy. It's, it's one of those old shows, but Commander McHale spanked this uh, uh, 11 or 12 year old brat. That he had charge over, and uh, later on the show, his father found out about it, and he commended Mikhail for it. His father was his commanding officer, and his father commended him for it. Well, (laughs) you would never see that on a TV show now. I mean, you know, in fact, he'd probably go to jail for it. But so, uh, so that's how much our society has changed. But I remember the changes in my lifetime, and many of us that are older, of course. Remember these things. But it's good for you, young people, to hear it because you know right now in these these days they talk about spanking like that. just automatically that's child abuse and they and they speak ill ill of it, evil of it. But you know the world speaks evil of all kinds of righteous things, and we shouldn't be surprised that they do this too. And it's I believe it's a it's a it's a it's a, the work of the devil to try to destroy this generation, and I think he's done a pretty good job doing that. Well, all this makes it hard to navigate our approach to child discipline in our day, and we need to recognize this, and we need to use wisdom. And there are problems, especially if you have foster children or or, or you go through the process of adoption, there's uh, there's certain problems and difficulties, and you have to navigate those things, and we have to respect parents' decisions in those cases not to use the rod. So. Every, every couple needs to wrestle with it, this difficult question of how to discipline their children. But here are the relevant facts that are, uh, I would say, three relevant facts that I put together that are scriptural and practical. First, if corporal punishments are not used, the parents are at a great disadvantage. Uh, certainly there are other forms of chastisement that are uh, not physical, uh, but for the young child, these are much less effective. Uh, the Bible says the rod is a great aid in forming good character in children. This cannot be annulled by by man. And so uh it's a it's a fact of scripture. So uh so uh that's the first point I'd make. If corporal punishment isn't used, the parents are at a great disadvantage. Secondly, as children get older, the rod is less effective and other means of discipline will yield better results. Um a, a universal age for when this happens. Uh, cannot be established because every child is unique. Uh, In fact, some children have such tender consciences that from a very, very young age, all they seem to need is to be corrected verbally. Uh, This is unusual, but it is true in some cases. And and a parent needs to recognize if you have a child like that uh, that can be truly brought to contrition uh, verbally and their conscience is active at a young age, uh, you don't... Feel that you have to that you have to use the rod in those situations, um, and if a very young child is given a renewed heart, that could explain that kind of a behavior. But also, there are some children that are just much more mild. The third thing I would mention that we need to keep in mind that what a parent is looking at for their child in submission uh, is is uh, is their submission and their uh, contrition and their obedience. Uh, if it can be contained by speaking with a child, as I said, the rod is not necessary. But children can be deceitful. You need to understand this. And uh, fake contrition to avoid a spanking, uh, they can do that just as much as a criminal can fake uh, fake contrition to get a lighter sentence for a crime that he's done, for a reduced sentence. So don't fool yourself. Children are smart, and they they are naturally deceitful and manipulative. And children, uh, you know that's true, don't you? You know that, uh, children. Why is it that it's so easy to lie? It's so easy, isn't it? I mean, it's like the lie. It's just like, it's just like it's a natural thing. It's just so easy to lie. In fact, one of my grandsons used to tell me, "Grandpa, how can you not lie?" I I told him I was getting after him for lying. "How can you not lie?" He said, "I, I don't know how you'd not lie." And and this kid was was really true. He was quite a liar till he got saved. But um um, you know, it's uh it's you know, you're naturally deceitful. So I remember my children bargaining with me and they would say, Daddy, can I only have one SWAT? And I'd say, Oh, I think you need a few more than that And uh or they'd uh, they'd try to fake it and say, I I never do it again, I'll never do it again, Daddy, I'll never do it again. And uh, and I knew better. So they got their spanking anyway. So they'd try to talk me out of it. And um uh, and I remember one child that she continually forgot to take garbage out. I, I went to work fairly early, and so she would take the garbage out after I went to work, and I'd go home when she hadn't taken the garbage out. And she kept forgetting, and I would scold her, and she promised to remember, and she and then she kept forgetting. So I said, finally I said, okay, uh, I think i got to do something to help your memory. And that little thing was some button she must have had on the backside of her body. And so, after I gave her spanking for forgetting to take out the garbage, lo and behold, she never forgot anymore. I just like, what was that? How'd that do that? You know, it's like magic. But, you know, just the way it is. So Now, here's some practical things, by the way, that I'll mention that are, uh, I think, to a certain extent, these are from my own opinion and experience, and some of the things I've already said are that way. Uh, so, I might be wrong, I might uh, on some of these things, so'll take' them, uh you know as uh just for me uh first of all, I don't think that a parent is necessarily sinning if he or she has made the decision to not use the rod. I've mentioned a couple of instances where uh sometimes parents feel constrained not to do so um, I think that uh, under the present circumstances of our society and especially If you've adopted a child or you have foster children, this is reasonable and it's excusable. I don't think it's actually sinful. Remember what a proverb is. It isn't a a law like the Ten Commandments, but it's, it's telling us, it's giving us wisdom. It says here, if you spare your rod, you're acting as though you hate your son. So, I mean, it's giving us the wisdom of that. Sparing your rod is not a good idea to do that. But if you love your children, you discipline them promptly. In, in, implied, of course, that you actually do use the rod. So it, it, could, it could mean a lack of love to spare the rod, but there may be other reasons that come in, especially in our day where a parent might be constrained to not use the rod. Um, secondly, if you have children that are older and, they, and they've never had the rod used in their discipline, and I've run into cases like this, especially people that are converted a little bit later in life and they have older children. Uh introducing it now when they're older, uh I've found it's probably un uh non productive. It's probably going to be counterproductive in most cases. So I believe for corporal punishment to be effective, it must be started when the children are very small. These are just things that I've learned over the years that I think are true. But you can disagree with me on them. Uh it's all right. Uh, I can't be dogmatic about them. There's much more that could be said, but I I realize that my audience tonight is consistent of of pretty seasoned parents, so most of you don't need uh, too much instruction in this. But, um, uh, you know, I uh, I thought uh, uh, I'd give this instruction anyway because there are a few younger people here uh, that uh, you have young children. There's also some uh, teenagers and different ones that will be married someday, and you will have children someday, and maybe this instruction will be helpful for you. And there's also children here, too, and you need to hear some of this. It's good for you. And um, so uh, uh, you need to know, children, that when you misbehave and and your parents spank you, that they are obeying God. They are not being mean or hateful. They are doing what God has told them to do. In fact there are times when I would tell my children when they were trying to negotiate with me and I would say well now you know the bible says that I should spank you when you're naughty and if I don't spank you am I you know do you think you you think that's good for me to to not do that and and they would uh, I just make them think about it a little bit to see that I'm doing it for a reason it's not it's not just uh it's not just my ill temper so I'll just add some more thoughts just a few more pointers that Before I close out this section, first of all, the rod must never be abused. Never, ever spank a child in anger. Never spank a child anywhere but in the padded place that God made specially for spankings. Uh, Never strike harder than necessary to make the spanking effective. A little love tap isn't going to do it, folks. they they got to feel a little pain. That's just the way it goes. It's not a spanking. But you don't want it to be such a heavy blow either and uh, both of them will do no good. A light love tap and a heavy blow, both of them uh, will yield uh, the opposite effect that you want. Second thing I'd mention is that all discipline must be administered with instruction. Explain why you are doing this. Uh, Make sure that they know what law of God that they have broken. Uh, Never spank a child simply because you're irritated uh, with them or because they have inconvenienced you. Uh, never spank a child for their natural clumsiness, and never even scold a child for that. Uh, but you might need to give them instruction to help them to uh, to be more careful. Um, um, but uh, uh, keep these uh, things in mind, uh, and remember that I I always remember that it, I wanted to make sure the child know knew that I was spanking not on my own authority but on God's authority. I wouldn't they weren't getting a spanking just because I'm bigger than them and they've crossed my will, you know. I wanted them to know that I'm spanking them because I'm God's servant and, and, and I'm trying to uh, to discipline them God's way and uh, and I'm doing it uh, in a principled way in that way. And then I explained to them what law they've broken, what what rule God has put down in his word. So they understood. They connected the discipline with the breaking of God's word, you know. And I think that those things are important um and then the third thing I'd mention is all discipline needs to be administered in a context of love and pity for the children and um uh, and that's always very effective because when it's administered in love they don't they not they're not bitter against you for it they 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 love you for it, and they know you did it for their good and and a child will accept that, and so these are just some basic things that. Most of you, I'm sure, already know. I'm sure all of you know it, but uh, maybe I'm helping somebody here. But we live in a society that, by, by and large, lets children grow up without proper guidance and without instilling in them the values of respect for others and for God that they need to have. And so we're reaping the results of ignoring God's commandments in regards to training our children. Violence, suicide, drug overdoses car accidents caused by driving high, and many more things. And uh, just a handful of 3,000-year-old scriptures could be the major part of curing all those ills. Uh, but these are ignored in our society and actually even uh, made light of, and, and even uh, parents that use them will be persecuted. Proverbs 14:12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death and how many children and young people and teenagers have been killed actually even killed because of not uh their parents not following these instructions and uh and i've known of several this just this year uh died of uh uh driving uh, recklessly or uh high on alcohol or drugs or things like that and and um uh, violating the word of god and and uh they actually even even pay for it with their lives sometimes. So these are serious things. And uh, and if you spare the rod, if you do not discipline your children, if you've elected not to use the rod, well, make sure whatever discipline you are using with them is effective with them. You'll have to work a lot harder, but um, but we have to make sure we cannot leave them to themselves. A the child left to himself brings his mother shame, the Bible says. And now for the final uh, verse that we have for tonight. To end the chapter is verse 25. The righteous eats to the satisfying of his soul, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. Now here we have again the contrast between the righteous and the wicked once again. And here's another way that God's children have the advantage, and it's both in temporal things and in eternal blessings as well. The righteous, or the one who's following Christ, He eats to the satisfying of his soul. See, the true Christian is free to enjoy the blessings of life with satisfaction and a clear conscience. Uh, When Jesus is our portion and we're satisfied with uh, what Jesus gives us, with the gospel and the things of God, then the things of this world can take their proper place. And the proper place of things in the world is to be subservient to God. And even you children can understand this, can't you? I mean, all the things that you have, you have things that you enjoy. You have possessions that you uh, enjoy using and maybe books you like reading and different things you like to do. Uh, but, uh, but you need to know that you need to keep those things in their proper place, that none of those things are more important than God. Uh, God must take precedence over everything in your life. And then, then you're free to enjoy those things. But uh, people of the world uh they uh they don't they uh they they don't have that uh that that privilege that we have of enjoying the things of the world in their right perspective uh, and so the things of this world are best enjoyed in moderation so for truly living in the light of God's countenance and relishing our relationship with him our souls are satisfied we eat to the satisfying of our souls just as Jesus said to the woman at the well He said, whoever drinks of this water, that is this earthly water, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. And the water, of course, that Jesus gives is the gospel. Uh, And uh, in the gospel, the, 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 uh, the work of Christ meets the most urgent and pressing need of our soul. And because it brings us into fellowship with God. And then our deepest need is met. And only the righteous have access to this satisfaction of the soul. And, uh, and children, you know, none of these things that you have will ever satisfy your soul. But it says, the rest of the proverb says this, but the stomach of the wicked shall be in want. In other words, it, it will be in need. It will not have the things that they want. Uh, see, so what it's saying is those outside of Christ, they keep trying to fill up their lives with the only things that they have. They don't have Christ. They just have the things of the world. And so that's the only thing they have that they think that can make them happy. And so um, so uh, the world it cannot bring this, their souls satisfaction. And so no matter how many things that they acquire, they never find satisfaction. Uh, no matter how much worldly glory or worldly pleasure that they have, um, Uh, They're never satisfied uh, for the greatest need of their soul. That is the Lord Jesus Christ is neglected in their lives. They're strangers to God and the Holy Spirit does not abide in them. So they have no heavenly father to take shelter in and to have fellowship with. Uh, So they always are in want or in need. They always need a little bit more. Uh, And that's just contrary to to Psalm 23.1. Psalm 23.1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or children, what that means is I shall not need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in want. I will not be in need. If the Lord is my shepherd, everything I need will be taken care of. And that's what David is saying in that psalm. But see, the wicked, the people outside of Christ, don't have that promise for themselves. The Lord is not their shepherd. And so they're continually in need. They're continually, their souls are always crying out for more and they're trying to satisfy it with other things. Um, they only have this world. The things of this world were never made for the purpose of satisfying our souls. Uh, so when the things of this world fail to satisfy them, well, the only thing they know is to get more of the things of this world, just more and more of them of the very things that don't satisfy. So let's say there's somebody in the world. Let's think about a certain person, just nobody in particular, just uh, let's make an imaginary man. Let's say that he tries to find satisfaction in, let's just say, his job or whatever he does to make a living. Well, not finding that satisfaction, uh, even at the top of his success in his career, he then seeks satisfaction in something else, some, some fleshly desire, some fleshly pleasure, going from one sort of pleasure to another. And when when he's young and healthy, uh, this does seem to bring the pleasure that he's looking for, but only for a little while, only for a season. Then he needs to add more and more and perhaps keep trying different pleasures, thinking that satisfaction is just out of his reach and all I need to do is just one more thing and I'll be satisfied. Well, sometimes a man or a woman will live out their entire lives in that pursuit and die in the midst of those pursuits, but never ever come to that finding satisfaction because they've never come to find Christ. And they die in their sins without finding Christ. Their stomach is always in want. Like the proverb says, their stomach is never satisfied. Um, But the people of God are able to enjoy the things of this world because they are satisfied with the deepest things, the most important things in life, and those are the things of God and Jesus Christ. And then with a clear conscience, they use the things that they have in the world lawfully, and they get the enjoyment of them as God intends for us to have. You know, God is no miser. He's a generous God. He gives us all things freely to enjoy, so long as we enjoy them lawfully. We may freely enjoy them, and they can bring us a certain satisfaction, but it is a subservient satisfaction. It's a satisfaction that's only when putting those things in their proper perspective. And so, Because we don't look for them to satisfy the longings of our soul, do we? If you're a Christian, you don't expect your car to satisfy the longings of your soul. When I was 16, I did. But I don't now, because I'm a Christian, and I wasn't then. So, we found the pearl of greatest price. We've taken, um, we've partaken of the greatest feast that we can have. It reminds me of Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 and 2, where he says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. And I don't know how many of you children remember this illustration. I've used it twice now in the church, but I'm use it again because there's probably some of you that haven't heard it and maybe some of you that weren't listening when I, when I mentioned it before. But many years ago and years before a lot of you children were even born, there was a great um, uh, time of poverty in the nation of Haiti. And some of us remember, I think it was about a dozen years or so ago, maybe 15 years ago, they had this great famine in Haiti. And I remember on the news them showing these Haitians, they were so hungry, they were dying of hunger, and they were so hungry that they would take uh, dirt, mix it with water, and make a mud pie, and they would dry it out, and then they would eat that to fill their stomach so that their stomach, the pain in their stomach would Subside because of the pain of being hungry. Children, you know what it's like to be really hungry? I mean, you get up in the morning maybe and you haven't had breakfast yet and you're so hungry you just starve. You say, I could eat a horse, right? I mean, you're just so ready to eat. Well, just imagine that pain being 10 times worse than that and you don't have any mom to give you a breakfast. You don't have anything to eat. And these poor Haitians were in that situation and they just didn't know what to do. And so they were eating these mud pies just to satisfy. Their hunger sad thing it's very, very you just maybe want to cry to see people in that kind of condition, but you know that that mud pie didn't help them it didn't it didn't save their life because there is no nutrition in the mud pie for them to to digest and and to to live off of, so they'd still die of hunger with a full tummy of these mud pies. Well, you know only trees and grass can grow in in uh in mud, right you know you can't eat it and live, and so um so Isaiah is saying, Why do you spend money on for what is not not bread? This condition of these Haitians is' just like people of the world today that refuse the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will not surrender their lives to Christ, they will not repent, and so they fill their lives with other things that they think should bring them satisfaction things like like going on vacations and having toys and things to play with and fun doing fun things and going fun places and keeping themselves busy with this entertainment or that entertainment and they're trying to satisfy that longing in their soul for that God has put there for every creature that he's ever, every every man and woman, boy and girl he's ever made, there's a longing in your soul for God. They don't recognize it as a longing for God. They recognize it as needing a mud pie. Just need a mud pie. If I just eat a mud pie, I'll be okay. But it doesn't. These things don't satisfy them any more than these saved the lives of these people that were starving, these mud pies. And so, where are you? What are you doing with your life? Is your life one that's been given to Christ? Are you surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you, have you asked Him to save you? Have you, have you, uh, repented and, and come by faith to Him and look for salvation in Christ alone? Is that, is that where you're finding your satisfaction in life? Or is it your toys? Is it something else in your life? Is it something you're looking forward to that some vacation with your family or getting together with some friends on Wednesday night here or some other uh, opportunity that you have or or whatever it is. Is it something else that you're looking for, for that satisfaction that only God can give? And see, if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not want. Jesus said, he that drinks of this water will thirst again. Whatever you drink of this water of this earthly existence, Whatever it is that you think you're having fun with, that's only going to last for a little period of time, and then it vanishes away. But if you have Christ as your Savior, that is a satisfaction for your soul that you can always have, and it will never be taken away from you. You will always have a fellowship with your Maker, which is exactly what your soul is longing for. And every soul is longing for that. But have you found that in Jesus Christ? And if not, I would invite you to ask the Lord to save you even tonight. Pray even tonight. Before you go to bed, children, before you go to bed, ask the Lord to save you. Say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior, and I want you to take away my sins. Grant me the Holy Spirit, and grant me that true salvation that Pastor Huber was talking about tonight so that my soul can be truly satisfied, and I won't try to satisfy myself with mud pies. Well, let's pray.